ladies and gents, and welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. Episode 68, as always, I'm joined by Dom. This is where you talk, Dom. Good morning, <laughs> good afternoon, or good evening. I was waiting, I was uh, and Jordan. Beware the bat. Beware the bat. That's actually, I think that's my favorite Batman costume, personally, is the gray and black. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's not my favorite logo, though. No, no, yeah. This is like uh, Dark Knight Returns or BVS logo, and I like the animated series logo the best. Yeah, I, I like the color scheme, though, a lot. Um, yeah, so episode 68, one away from the magic number. One away from the magic number. Um, let's just hop into what we've been playing, as usual. Uh, Siege is always, nothing new. Um, two sports games I played this week. So I played, you can play Madden 18 early. Um, if you have EA Access, and I have EA Access, so I've been playing that. Um, it's the first Madden not coming out on last-gen consoles. It's using the Frostbite engine. Um, quick impressions, I've only played like two hours-ish, because you get ten hours to play before the game comes out. Um, the graphics, there's definitely an update there. You can tell it's on the Frostbite engine. Um, the gameplay looks a little bit improved. It's it's Madden. Like there's it's It's changed enough for me to justify purchasing it again, but it's not like leaps and bounds, you know? Um... But yeah, there, you can definitely tell a difference that it's on Frostbite now. Um, the other game I played was a demo for NBA Live 18. Now this is interesting because earlier during E3, I, th- I don't know if you guys remember when I was talking all of the shit about NBA Live 18 because it's not it's not as good as 2K. Um, and I played the demo and it's still not as good as 2K, um, but I do think it's leaps and bounds better than the last one that came out, which was 16. And... I actually went and re-downloaded NBA Live 16 because I have it through EA Access in the vault or whatever. I downloaded it, uh, played through that just to get a sense of if it was as bad as I remember, and it's awful. Um, NBA Live 18, it's vastly improved. They've done a lot. The facial animations, the way the game moves, um, the game modes, everything's very interesting and cool. Um, and I think it has two things going for it. So this demo came out last week, uh, a little over... A little less than, than a week from today. The NBA 2K demo doesn't come out till September 8th. NBA Live comes out September 15th, and I don't know the release date for 2K, but it gave itself a huge gap, right? We, we talked about how this game needs to somehow separate itself to be able to sell. They announced that if you pre-order it, if you buy it any time before the day it comes out, it's going to be 40 bucks, not 60 which is huge. I still think it's dumb that it's going to be 60 after release. Um... Yeah, but playing it, it's definitely improved. It's a step in the right direction. It's still not 2K in my opinion, um, but it's leaps and bounds. It's a huge improvement, man. I was actually surprised, and I was the one talking all this shit. But I'm going to tell you why it's going to crash and burn, Jared, and it's pretty simple. It's not on the Switch. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, actually, speaking of that, this isn't a news story I have in the news this week, but I don't know if you guys saw it. EA basically said that they're their ports to Switch are going to be based on the sales of FIFA on Switch. So if you're listening to this and you want to get Madden or other stuff, go buy FIFA. Or don't. You shouldn't have to do stuff to make a company do stuff. So, whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> See, and that, that, kind of, that kind of pisses me off, though, because, I mean, we don't know yet, but, I mean, you kind of get that, that worry that FIFA on Switch is going to be just a shit version yeah. of uh, FIFA 18, right? And it's like, Oh, well, you're going to use a crappier version of the game to forecast how, you know, yeah, but how many other games to bring to Switch? Like, you should put out as fully featured as possible version. I mean, just downgrade the graphics, and that should be it. I mean, my, the, my only argument to that is there's not really another simulation sports experience on the Switch, and handheld simulation sports experiences haven't been, like, Madden on the PSP, I think, was the last mobile, like, simulation sports game I played, and it was cool but it was you know obviously a watered down version of madden um but i think it could sell well my only the only weird thing is so fifa sells well in the states is fifa's their best-selling game ea's best-selling sports game and a lot of that is from the european territory obviously and because of the limited quantity i don't know exactly how well switch is sold specifically in europe we know it's sold well in japan and we know it's sold well in the united states i don't know the european sales figures so that's going to be huge because the European audiences eat up FIFA. So if they don't have a lot of switches to even get the game, then how are they, you know what I mean? They're not going to buy it without the console. So it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to do that. But yeah, I've talked about uh, what I've been playing, just uh, a couple of, you know, sports demos essentially. And NBA Live surprised me. 
still not as good as 2K, but step in the right direction. Because the last thing we need is Monopoly. So hopefully, uh, you know, EA gets rid of having the Madden license, the NFL license, so we can see some competition there too. So. Skyrim. Still. <laughs> oh, my God. This is like a running gag at this point. Wow. Oh, my God. I will say I'm on the last trophy. So I've beaten everything in the main game. I mean, not everything, but, like, yeah. all the main quests and all the guilds and everything. Have every trophy. I just have to get to level 50, which in Skyrim, their leveling system is a little goofy. Um, if you remember, it's basically, like, you have to level up each skill yeah. to get your overall level. So you only you level up those skills by doing things, right? right? Like, you level up your smithing skill by smithing. You don't get any experience for doing quests or kills, yeah, and so on. Yeah, really. Um, and then once you hit 100 on a skill, it caps, right? Yeah. So, um, I've been using you know one-handed weapons the whole game, and that hit 100. So now, as far as I am in the game, I'm like, well, shit, I need to use something different because I'm not getting any more levels, which is a pain. But I'm at like 46 now, well, so just breezing through the DLC because I never did play the DLC the first time around it's pretty good so heart home is like just like a expansion for like houses and stuff which is interesting but it's good if, yeah it's good that it's in a package now buying it on its own didn't really make much sense and then there's the heart right. home is an episode of game of thrones it's hearth home you said hearth hard fire home. yeah same thing tomato hearth home uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh that reminds me though dom is when skyrim first came out but you're right though sorry go ahead you, no, you're right though. So I the, I got pretty deep into the the house building stuff, um, and got bored of it pretty quickly because it's kind of the house building stuff is lame. <laughs> I mean, in general, like having a house in Skyrim is lame. It, you, the only thing good about it is putting up racks to put your extra gear on, so it yeah. looks cool. It was like my um, favorite part about of it. that game and Fallout Four, like. Maybe not favorite part, but it's a huge part. I like building my own place and having stuff and certain things. I'm very OCD. Uh, like, so when Skyrim first came out, I don't know if you do this, Dom, or you, Jordan, because you guys both play tons of RPGs too. Whenever I'm playing an RPG and I notice there's like a system I can not necessarily exploit, but I can grind early in a game, I'll sit there and I'll grind it out just so I don't have to worry about it later. And when Skyrim came out, I noticed that I with blacksmithing, you can grind it out just if you're... If you're able to go around, get a lot of, like, the spare parts and then uh, iron and stuff and then make ingots and then just <clears throat> rinse and repeat. And I did that, and I got my spit thing up to 100 without even getting to the first, uh, the first uh, like, main mission when you talk to the so greybeards. So I, I, did, I did something very similar to that the first time with Skyrim because you could just make iron daggers yep. um, over and over, over, and over, over again. Yep. And they would give you the same ex- amount of experience as, you know, making a full... Diedrich armor set basically yeah. right they patched that out i found out so oh, okay smart <laughs> the uh experience you earn from smithing is based on the value of each item that you make after so the iron daggers don't do uh, shit for you yeah <laughs> but also goes without saying figure that out we all watch game of thrones this week that's a you know tomato hard home <laughs> tomato hard home yeah <laughs> anything else just skyrim just chilling with skyrim that's it. I'm gonna play Batman this coming week before I leave to go on my trips. You haven't had gonna anything play spoiled Batman for you, right? Because there is stuff that can get spoiled in that first episode. Not yet. Okay, cool. Fingers crossed. Jordan, you always have a lengthy list. You're, you're always a... Yeah, I'll try to make it quick here. Uh, first, what I was playing, I finished Tacoma. Um, oh! Enjoyed it very much. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, you literally just reminded me that message you put in the group chat of saying the workaround... Honestly, I was just like, yeah, that's too much effort. I'm just going to wait for an update. So I haven't played it yet. Well, I mean, it's not it's not a big deal. I think uh, what I, what he's talking about is uh, you jump into the game, and then it says press A to start, um, and it just doesn't work for some people. Yeah. Um, and so they <laughs> tell you to just take it offline. Uh, otherwise, you're just going to be sitting at a screen that says press A to start. And uh, I didn't even actually end up taking it offline. It just uh, all of a sudden it said syncing. Oh, cool. Um, like the Xbox itself. The Xbox itself uh, popped up a message that said it was syncing. And uh, then I was able to jump in. It was not It was weird, but it worked. And then I uh, got in, played it, uh, finished the whole thing in one sitting. Enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, very intriguing way to go about uh, go through a story, I should say, um, with the 
uh, almost DVR-like functions that you have there, uh, being able to, uh, you know, watch these uh, augmented reality silhouettes of these people have a conversation, <clears throat> and one of them will walk down the hallway and start talking to the AI, and then you can rewind and follow them, and then rewind and come back and listen to the main conversation that was going on, and uh, really easy to use, not complicated at all, and uh, just really enjoyed uh, the way of having that story, uh, being able to interact with it that way. So um, we can talk more about it uh, once Jared's beat it, and we can go into the story a little bit more, but uh, I enjoyed it very much. Quite a so can't wait for Gone Home's third, or <laughs> Gone Home, uh, Fulbright's third game. Hey, you like Gone Home, right? I did. Yeah, okay, just just so I have a frame of reference, because I like Gone Home a lot too. I think so. I enjoyed uh, Tacoma more than Gone Ooh, Home, cool. and I thought to, I thought Gone Home was cool, but you know I didn't play it when everybody else played it. So I had people just constantly spoiling that game on the internet about uh, what it's truly about, um, and so I, I knew what, what was happening going into it. And so uh, you know Tacoma being an all new experience, I think probably shaded the color of my. Uh, enjoyment there a little bit, but I do. I think it's a better game too. It's just uh, it's a fun experience. So I would definitely recommend it if you're into uh, interactive storytelling uh, rather than you know true video games. If you're into walking simulators and stuff like that, uh, it's it's cool stuff. Cool. Um, then I also played uh, finished Super Hot. Ooh. Super Hot. Super Hot. And. Uh, enjoyed that game quite a bit has a cool uh, meta narrative that i'm sure you've also been spoiled on if you uh, listen to gaming podcasts or read uh gaming websites um but nonetheless still interesting to go through and and, and uh fun experience to have and then of course the gameplay itself with the puzzle like shooter that it is first person shooter uh where time slows down until you start moving um and you're trying to shoot these uh, red voxel-looking dudes. Um, a fun gameplay and definitely an inventive uh, sort of experience. So uh, pretty short, but uh, nonetheless, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I'm pretty sure that's another game that came out of Poland, so shout out to them because obviously um, CD Projekt Red has been one of the only Polish developers uh, up until now, and it seems like stuff's starting to go down in Poland as far as game development. So shout out to you, Poland. I have to make a trip. Uh, yeah, well, you'll be over there in the Netherlands pretty soon. Well, uh, um, the crazy thing is, like, Poland isn't a country you normally like see people visit that often. But when The Witcher Three yeah. was coming out, um, Jesse Cox and Dodger and that whole group actually got invited out by CD Projekt Red to visit the studio. And man, that city is so beautiful, and their studio is gorgeous because. They have such a, it's, I don't know, a lot of times here in the United States, even though we have so, such a huge landmass, a lot of businesses are cramped into certain areas, and their office was yeah. huge, and it was beautiful, and like, gorgeous, dude. Ugh, gorgeous. Speaking of uh, Danny O'Dwyer, or uh, Danny O'Dwyer, <laughs> as you say it. <laughs> oh, Mr. Layers. Irish cream, as they call uh, it. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> doing a, uh, he's about to do a no-clip documentary on uh, CD Projekt. Um, but he went back when he was at GameSpot. He actually did a little three-part series uh, on just The Witcher itself, and I highly recommend that. And I'm very excited for the new one. So shout out to No Clip Documentaries. And then um, I also played through the first episode of Walking Dead Michonne, as I said I would, hmm. uh, and it was pretty short, uh, r like probably not even an hour long, maybe wow. like 55 minutes. Um, but it's a mini series, you yeah. know. They made that clear. It's only three episodes, and uh, it was obviously cheaper. And so, I'm totally cool with that. It's uh, an interesting enough start to the story, um, even though. So this takes place during a time in the Walking Dead comic. Of course, the Telltale games take place uh, in the Walking Dead comics universe, not the show. It takes place during a time where uh, Michonne is gone from the main group. Um, and she's on a boat. She comes back and gets off the boat when you see her come back in the comic. And so I was like, oh, they're going to tell the story of her on this boat. Uh, but what they don't tell is the story of her getting to that boat and meeting these new people in the first place. Because uh, she just starts out on the boat. So hmm. that was kind of weird because I was like, she just disappears from the comic, essentially. 
Um, so there is still kind of a missing link there. I was like, why didn't you guys, you know, if you guys are telling the story, tell the fucking story. But, um, you know, they did the, they did their thing. They made their decision. So I'm sure it'll turn out fine because, uh, it is Telltale's Walking Dead and those are usually very high quality experiences. So excited to play more of that. Um, besides that, I have, uh, I am just about at the end of, uh, George Railroad Martin's A Game of Thrones, the first book in the Song of Ice and Fire series. And uh, I'm enjoying it very much. Uh, we talked about how Bioware is the kind of the king of, uh, of lore in video games, and it seems like George R. R. Martin is one of the kings of lore in novels because uh, the world building is just so, so, so well done. And obviously you can tell that by watching the show but it's even better in the books or better in the first book I should say and it really does feel like a tangible world that you're uh, able to look into so um, that is I would say one of my favorite parts of the book but there's plenty of other awesome things and I'll say that it's been exci an exciting ride even though I've seen the first season of that show probably twice maybe even uh, upwards of three times at this point um, but I was still riveted by what was going on, even though I knew most of the events. And um, also, I just wanted to say that they've done, for at least the first book to the first season, which is pretty much one-to-one -one as far as what they were adapting, they did a pretty good job. I've, there hasn't been any scenes that I was like, oh, man, why is this not in the series, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but it seems like from people have read the entire book series up to this point, they have... Uh, gradually gotten away from that and you know have been missing out on some cool stuff unfortunately um because i do feel like they kind of not rushed it but they have like they definitely haven't been taking uh a book per season anymore and that kind of sucks um especially since they knew that it was going to take george R. R. martin forever to write this book these next coming upcoming books because you know it's been taking him forever to write the series and so now they're just in kind of no man's land where they know what's going to happen in the ending, but they're still not adapting writings of George himself. And so um, it does kind of suck that the show is just off on its own, doing its own thing. Moreover, I really hope that uh, it doesn't, you know, influence him too much and get too much into his head about, oh, well, the show is doing this. Should I do it this way or whatever? I hope it doesn't, you know, kind of mess up the future books. I'm sure they'll be great either way, but... Um, yeah so there's that and then uh one other thing real quick i know i'm going a little long here but uh jared was just talking to me about uh an upcoming dc animated film uh featuring adam west in uh the classic 60 style batman and i was telling him how i didn't watch the trailer because as you know i haven't been watching trailers but also because i watch every dc animated movie as it comes out uh so there's really no need to watch the trailers and I just watched Batman and Harley Quinn, which came out this week. And uh, it's absolutely one of the worst DC animated films I've seen ever. <laughs> I heard, uh, I, I saw a, seen, a headline that says, Do Nightwing and Harley Quinn have sex in the new DC animated movie? I was like, that's And a... they, they do. Uh, oh, it's All right. It's dumb the way that they do that. And then they're making like weird, awkward jokes about it afterwards. Um, there's a terrible fart joke. Um, which you know, I was really hoping that it would land. Batman never had to deal with that. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's more of a comedy than anything else. Uh, the action and it's not really good, which is usually a highlight of those movies. Um, and the story's really stupid. The dialogue's pretty terrible. There's a couple of musical numbers that are absolutely unnecessary. <laughs> There's God. two musical numbers back to back. Two musical numbers, and then. They, they're in a bar when they have those two musical numbers, and then Batman, Harley Quinn, and Nightwing, which is actually what the movie should be called, uh, turn around and all these villains are looking at him in the bar and they're, you know, about talking shit or whatever. And then Batman's like, says some line, and then they just show you from outside of the bar and just have like, pow, bang, ow, wow. my balls up on screen. It's like really stupid. They don't even show the fight, but then they spend all that fucking time on the musical numbers, which weren't good in the first place. So, with all that being said, uh, it's a really shitty movie, and that really upsets me because <laughs> I'm really into these DC animated films. Um, even when everybody was dogging the shit out of The Killing Joke last year, I was like, you know, it's pretty good, but uh, 
it wasn't the greatest, of course. Wait a minute. Uh, were, were you on the show when I talked about Because I watched that, The Killing Joke. I don't know if I did. I was or not. What did you... How'd you feel? I don't really like it. Why is that? I, I, I love the comic. Um, yeah. The, the movie, the first half of it, I thought completely could have been cut out. I didn't understand. Well, yeah, that, it it's didn't... not part of the comic at all. They just added that exactly. first part in. That's the whole Barbara Gordon and the second half... stuff, right, that people complain about. Yeah, basically yeah. Barbara Gordon and Bruce Wayne ended up having sex. But I thought it was okay the way they did it. I didn't think that was terrible, but I did think it was unnecessary. Uh, the fact of the matter is, though, if it had just been the bulk of the killing joke itself, which they pretty much did frame for frame in the movie, then the movie would have been about 35 or 45 minutes because it's such a short comic grabbing on. Sure, so, right. Um, I understood the reasoning, but I do think that they could have had better content to fill that beginning part. Well, what you're saying uh, is it wasn't the, even nearly as bad as this this movie. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I like The Killing Joke. I think it's a good adaptation, you know, uh, especially outside of those first few minutes that we're talking about. Um, but um, I will also say... I see that you actually have uh, the Killing of Joke sitting beside you, or behind you, Dom. I yeah. have that same edition. It's like an anniversary edition. I was really upset when I found out they completely recolored that book. That book, uh, op- go ahead and open it up. In that edition, it has a very dark and kind of gritty, like washed out. Well, not the uh, not the black and white parts. Find it. Well, that's part. color on the left here. Well, that's like, why I got the color side. That's and like then a black that's and white like, side flashback there we go there you go yeah but well that doesn't explain my point well these it's not your fault Bob. it's not your fault but what i'm trying to say is there's parts where it's like the actual if you look at the actual uh original version it's ve- the colors like pop it's almost like a an andy warhol painting and uh i really thought it was cool and then um yeah, they did the recoloring, and I found out, you know, throughout my experience with comics now that they do this often enough to where it's upsetting to me. Uh, because, you know, they'll release a 20th anniversary edition and completely recolor the whole book or the whole series that they're reprinting. And it's it's really upsetting because, you know, of course you have the writer in comics, and then you have the penciler and the inker or the colorist, and the penciler just draws black and white basically and then someone else comes in and adds the color and i think that that is extremely important to any comic book almost just as important as the guy drawing the things himself and guy or girl and uh i just think that to completely recolor a comic book is is really like kind of a shitty thing to do it's really kind of a spit in the face of the uh original artist and it also just alters the tone it's a very different look uh, if you see the original Dark Knight Returns, I know that's a diatribe, and I saw, I'm sorry for going so long uh, on the on this uh, DC comic podcast that we're doing right now. But uh, I do think that that's upsetting and it's stupid. Uh, I saw that in the Inkle recently as well. So quit fucking doing that, comic companies. I'll rebuy the comic. I'll buy the 20th anniversary edition with the the foreword from some random guy that's not even involved in the writing of the book. I'll buy the hardcover with the nice new picture on the front or whatever. But don't you dare change the motherfucking color <laughs> of the motherfucking book. Uh, yeah. Uh, are, were you done, Turn. I didn't mean to cut you off. I ought to be done. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> let's hop into the news. Uh, so the first bit of news here comes with IGN. Shenmue 3 will be published by Deep Silver. So this is interesting because if you don't remember, Shenmue 3 was kickstarted. It's been in development. We haven't really heard about it. Uh, and yeah, they announced that it's going to be published by Deep Silver, of all people. Um, it's interesting because uh, Deep Silver uh, helped publish, obviously, Persona 5 and Yakuza Kiwami. Um, so it's it's interesting that Shenmue 3 you know, got them as a publisher. Is it just uh, we talked about this before we started the show? But isn't it weird when like a Kickstarter game gets a publisher? Isn't like to me it's like double dipping, you know? It's definitely sleazy to me uh, because you're basically using the crowdfunding system as uh, like a glorified pitch, yeah, uh, to your investors, and uh, I don't really appreciate that. But at the same time, I realize that um, especially with the way the video games 
the making of the video games is, the development of video games the way it is, um, it's very hard to get a concept off the ground, even if it's, you know, uh, someone who's been successful in the industry, a game director, or it's uh, someone trying to bring back a beloved franchise that sold many copies in the past, or at least has been critically acclaimed. Um, and so it is sometimes very difficult to get things off the ground, even things that people would really enjoy and people would definitely buy. Uh, but at the same time, um, I almost feel like there should just be a different way of, of going about it because uh, having people fund you um, in this sort of way and just giving them, you know, essentially kick, uh, uh, what would you call them, backer awards, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think it is a little bit sleazy. It is a little bit of a backdoor shady deal, as our friends over at the Allies like to say. Well, this is even weirder because Sony helped pitch the Kickstarter on their stage. Yeah, and it's, like, it's definitely double dipping, like and, you said. And Shenmue is owned by Sega, so it's like, why isn't Sega publishing this? <laughs> Sega. It's really weird. Uh, some I'm I'm gonna read you some of these uh, top comments on IGN, which sometimes are bad, but this, I find a couple of these funny. Uh, the first one says, ignore Shenmue. Go buy Yakuza 0, then Yakuza 6 when it's released. They're better than Shenmue anyway. Um, <laughs> which I thought was funny. And then uh, a lot of people are just saying, why does Deep Silver need to publish this when Sega owns the IP? If you get 6 mil in financing, why do they need a publisher? You take all these people's money just so rich guys can take all the profits. So people don't seem too happy about it. Also, if people yeah. don't remember, this game was announced to be coming out by December of this year, and it got delayed till late next year. I think it's even going to get delayed after that. Um, this is, you know, I wonder if we're going to start seeing people uh, go on Patreon for uh, game development because that is more of a uh, like subscription service, like a monthly deal where yeah. it's ongoing as opposed to a one-time uh, backing funding. Um, so it would be interesting to see, like, hey, we'd like you to go on this journey with us. We'd like you to help us out through our development costs and... Um, see if that didn't change the game up a little bit because then you're you're walking alongside that developer as opposed to just giving them money and hoping that they don't kind of screw you over. I just, the, the one problem with Patreon versus Kickstarter is Kickstarter is like a lump sum that they get so they can kind of, with game development, schedule everything out. With Patreon, right. it's like people can pull out at any time and they need hard figures to be yep, able to, yep. when people pay. I like the Sorry idea, I agree with you, I like the idea, but... I think with game development, especially as we've seen, planning is a huge part of having a successful game and being able to plan out everything, you know. But I do think there could be a middle ground and there. Even if you're on the top of the Patreon world, like, let's say, Kind of Funny, for example, when Colin Moriarty left Kind of Funny, they dropped yep. uh, marginally. So you could, yeah, you could definitely be uh, riding high one month and then... It's like hitting the low road the next. It'd be like watching the stocks with game development because what if you release a concept art that a bunch of people don't like? And you're, they're like, oh, you're taking this yeah. game in a new direction than we thought, and so many people pull out, and that derails your development, and then you have to let go of some. It's I think it's a cool idea and thought, but unless there's a little bit more guaranteed, uh, I don't think anybody would ever do that. But I I do see where coming from. There needs to be yeah. more of a middle ground of a one to one where. Maybe some kind of thing happens where if you do a Kickstarter, you're kind of like not allowed to get a publisher. I don't know. I just think it's weird. I understand mm -hmm. why it happens, but it, it is double dipping. It's like we're going to use you guys as an audition for, you know. Um, just as a side note there, it might be interesting to see if a game developer made a Patreon and didn't use that as their uh, primary source of funding. Yeah. Just to say, hey, well, you know. Maybe like uh, Ninja Theory did with Hellblade. We'll be making these videos alongside the game. These making of concept developer art, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And like continuing that, not just like every now and then throwing up on IGN so do you or think... whatever. But it'd be cool to see if they did that that way. Yeah. So do you think that they're still beholden to uh, their Patreon like promises and everything? Oh, you mean their Kickstarter, their Kickstarter promises? Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it comes, it's comes... You got me mixed up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they are because they took their money. So. The way Kickstarter yeah. works is the moment that they take the money, it's promised. So, um, essentially, if they don't, which you don't, sorry, go ahead, get the money unless you meet your backer goal. Exactly, yeah. So if they don't so, yeah. deliver on it, uh, Kickstarter's kind of gone under fire for this in the past. But uh, over the last couple of years, they've cracked down on people not delivering on their on their uh, their pledges and stuff like that of what people are promised. So if for some reason they don't. Um, 
then obviously they'll have to give the money back or it'll be a huge shitstorm. It's just weird because, like... I could... Go ahead, Dom. Sorry. Because I can see that happening, right? Where maybe one of their... I don't know what their, their stretch goals were or anything. Maybe one of them was... Uh, for example, this isn't r- real, but, you know, a, a switch port, right? Yeah. Um, and so say that they hit that money, that goal on uh, Kickstarter, and so they're like, okay, we're going to make a switch port, but then Deep Silver's like, I'll... No, you're not. Or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. They have not, two options. They can on either, our time. They can either right? update everyone and be like, well, we can't do that, so we switch the, the stretch goal. Also, stretch goals aren't necessarily promises. So even though you reach a stretch goal, oh, you don't okay. necessarily have to follow through on them. It's the main ones. Like, you can be an asshole. It's not going to look good for you, but the stretch goals aren't necessarily the ones that... Because in Kickstarter's like terms and policies, it's essentially, well, these aren't in the hard print. You know what I mean? So you just have to sure, deliver sure. on the main project. Okay. Exactly. Itself, yeah. Right? Okay. Because uh, a lot of stretch goals are funded. I learned something today. A lot of yeah. stretch goals are funded past Kickstarter, and they're usually funded through donation uh, buttons and stuff through the developers' own websites. Yeah. So like Hollow Knight reached a lot of its stretch goals not even after Kickstarter through its own website. So those aren't really Kickstarter. A good promises. example. A good example is Bloodstained. Uh, they've gotten far enough into development now, and they did actually have to delay the game at some point. But it's gotten far enough away where they said. Hey, instead of this Wii U port that was one of our stretch goals, it's going to turn into a Switch port. Yeah, so you can update that stuff and be clear. And I think, too, Jordan, it's all about communication. Like, if the people who are making Shenmue 3 came out and they didn't, it wasn't just announced that they're getting published by Deep Silver, but they're like, your money's working uh, towards making this game great, and we felt teaming up with a publisher would help us to give us more funding um, so we can make it as great as possible. But they're not even, even if it's just PR fluff, at least say something like that, right? Like, they're not even saying that. It's just like, well, it's published by Deep Silver now. We don't really get any statement of, like, why this is good, you know what I mean, or why they did it. Well, there's, there's something to be said for the fact that if I'm, I've never, I've, uh, you know, backed people on Patreon, but I've never uh, done any Kickstartering, or kickstarting, um, <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, if there was something beloved that had gone away that I wanted to come back and they were doing a Kickstarter for and uh, let's say you know CD Projekt Red imploded for some fucking reason and then um, some of those guys got back together they're like we're doing Witcher 4 but we need your help I'd be all up in that right yeah Uh, but then they go along and they get a publisher right like uh, you know kind of a double A deal like Deep Silver maybe and they're saying well we could have made you know 100% of a game or we could have made a certain amount of the game uh, with that Kickstarter backing, but because of this publisher, we're actually going to make it that much better. It's going to be like 150% yep. of what we could have done yep. if we had just done your backing. And then at that point, I'd be like, yeah, man, go ahead and get that extra funding. Well, also, n- not to worry people, but Deep Silver has done this before. The last game that Deep Silver jumped in on that was a Kickstarter game, and they jumped on to publish was Mighty Number no. 9. <laughs> and we all know how that yeah. turned out. Ooh. So ooh. Yeah, I mean, Deep Silver, it's like... I, I always wish them the best because they are absolutely filling in that double A slot. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit thin right now in games, but um, though not as thin as I think people uh, like to say it is. Uh, anyways, uh, you know they are also picked up Homefront: The Revolution, and um, so yeah, they've they've definitely um, made some iffy choices. Yeah, they're hit or miss. Which publishers you have to take those risks, right? Because it's all about trying to earn profit. So yeah, I understand it. Just. Yeah, no. It's, it's an interesting situation. Um, the next story here, the next news story. Uh, Crackdown 3 is delayed to 2018. Uh, Dom, I think you believe you said that you called this, which I I don't remember, but you probably did. Um, Sounds like something I cynically said. Yeah. Uh, it's delayed point. till the official wording is spring 2018. So I want to have two-piece conversation. Well, actually, the, it's going to be a three-piece conversation. So first off, I want to talk about the actual delay of it beginning late to spring. Second, I want to talk about Spring 2018 for Xbox in general because they have three games, which I think at least two of them are getting moved. And thirdly, because of this, people are starting to freak out saying that Xbox, yada, yada, yada. It's like the same thing we heard at the beginning of the year, which it's weird that Crackdown of all games is changing it back to that conversation. But um, So yeah, the first part, it's getting delayed till Spring 2018. It was going to be coming out alongside Xbox One X, which... Jordan and I were talking about before the show, I think that's the biggest issue uh, is that this is probably going to pull people away from ordering the Xbox One X. Not that this is like... Certainly does for me. Yeah, the whole hum, AAA, I can't wait to play this, but it is a game that adds 
enough weight onto the scale to lean you into purchasing it, right? Um, yeah, I, just to say this, uh, I was I've been teetering on whether or not to buy an Xbox One X or just go ahead and spend more money and get uh, you know a tricked out computer essentially because yeah. I'm about the time where I need a new computer anyways and instead of buying uh, you know an Xbox One X this fall and then you know having to get a new computer in the next year and a year year and a half um, I might just combine those purchases into one and this is really starting to push me down that road so you know Microsoft doesn't make computers they only make Windows so lost some money on that front motherfuckers <laughs> uh, so yeah so it's moved to spring 2018 the other games we have in spring 2018 for Xbox are State of Decay 2 and Sea of Thieves so um, obviously neither of those games are to the size of Crackdown 3 but I do think they'll sell as well if not better um, it's strange because right now we're in a situation where Xbox has three exclusives set for spring 2018 and from everything we've heard from PlayStation, they have three to four exclusives set for spring 2018. So either we're going to have a super jam-packed spring or things are going to move for both of these companies, which I think it's more often than not that it, you know things are going to move. It's, it's weird that we have so many things packed in. Um, but as far as the, the delay itself, we've, we talk about this all the time, right, guys? Like, Dom, this isn't bad for the game, right? Obviously, a delay means it's, it's for the better. For the game, yeah, it's. I mean, <clears throat> maybe not financially, but for the quality of the game, of course, yeah, it's yeah. always a good thing. Do you think? Do you think Terry Crews being at EA three and then them stating afterwards that they're actually going to be putting him into the game because he wasn't in the game? Uh, do you think that was a- another thing added onto the pile of, hey, this game plays great, but it doesn't look as good as it can. Hey, this doesn't seem to fulfill the promises we saw with the cloud destruction and that. Do you think like a lot of that stuff just piled onto where Microsoft was like, instead of pushing out a broken game let's just take our time you know yeah i, I mean it's it's simpler it's probably just wasn't wasn't ready i mean it, yeah that's it right like well it's like they, it's crazy because they um this game went away for so long yeah. and then they came back they're like no it's going to be the flagship product for the xbox one x it's coming out this fall here's your release date um here's terry cruz and it's weird they've had to jump back once again and go back into behind well, the curtain this could be a uh, an effect of mass effect andromeda too of like like not necessarily one-to-one but it's like they thought they because remember we read that story in december that a lot of the developers and stuff thought that the game looked good enough to release and obviously it wasn't it needed some more time in the oven Maybe that's them being like, well, they were confident in it and we're confident in it, but maybe we just need to double check. And maybe upon double checking things and running through it, they weren't satisfied with the quality. And they were in this middle ground of we either release we either release an exclusive that a lot of people might not like if it's not up to the standards. And people are like, yeah, Xbox can't release a good exclusive. Or we delay it and they're like, oh, we can't even get any exclusives out. So it was like this weird middle ground, right? Where they're like, well, we had to do one of two things. So I so, believe... Dom, I was trying to speak. <laughs> I, I believe that... I think that, we're, like, unsynced. Our internet is just catching us. Um, I think that there is positivity to be gleaned from absolutely any situation or experience. And if Mass Effect had to be the one to go down so that other games in the future might rise above and maybe get that extra delay time from that giant publisher that just wants to make a buck... Yeah. Um, they might actually realize, hey, we can make more extra bucks if we just give the time it needs, like you said, in the oven and don't give them this raw, disgusting uh, pile of dough. Yeah. Um, So it sucks because, you know, Jared, you and I both love that franchise and um, it is sad to see that Mass Effect wasn't all that it could be. But if it is the case where um, that kind of showed the industry, hey games sometimes really need to be delayed and you can do uh, you can make a lot bigger splash if you give it the time that would be good yeah in the long run and the thing is like everyone at E3 that played this game said it was fun it just didn't look that interesting the the world didn't seem alive enough which that's always a problem with Crackdown but like even the graphical fidelity and the frame rate and all that stuff it didn't look up to par so the other part of the delay is, I think, polishing. And if this is going to be your flagship for your powerful, beefy, you know, console that you want everything to look pretty on, mm-hmm. how is it going to look if you release that game on the same day and it doesn't even perform well? Then you're going to have all these <clears throat> negative headlines of 
the showcase for Xbox One X can't even run right and all this stuff. You know what I mean? Dominic, I will now so, allow you an audience. <laughs> so so you have a point, Jared, but to counter that but and also kind of what you said earlier, like I don't think this matters much at all to the Xbox One X. Oh, no. I don't think this yeah. really is supposed to be like a big showpiece for that console. I think the Xbox One X, what it needs to do to get a leg up is all the fall games, all the third-party multi-platform games, it needs to say, this is full 4K, and so-and-so, uh, aka PS4 Pro, it's only half 4K. That's yeah. what yeah. is going to help sell Xbox One Xs. And well, even that being or... said, even that being said, they're not going to sell a bunch of Xbox One Xs. That's not going to do anything, you know, yeah, major, it just even at best-case scenario, right? It... So. This is not a big deal at all, I think. It just seems like Sony and Microsoft thought that 4K was going to be a thing sooner than it has become, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, because, like... This, it seemed like 2017 was supposed to be the year for 4K. And, and not just, even close. They're not really, well, because people just sure, know but... from going through that the HD 1080p uh, TV era, they know that those things get so fucking cheap so fucking quick, yeah. and so next year you're just going to be able to find them like dirt. Yeah, yeah. this is also like 4K, even though it's not quite mainstream yet, it will be. Like, yeah. no one is doubting that, right? Yeah. It's yeah, not yeah. like 3D TVs where it was like, oh, this cool new 3D TV, and then it like just kind of died. It just seems you it's know? earlier than usual a lot of, for these companies. A lot of companies ju- try to jump on that train too. But. Yeah, it just seems like they predict this stuff a lot closer to where they most of the time they nail it. And this seems like they were both way early. PlayStation way more so. Like it just seems like they're way early because I think once 4K becomes a thing and people are into it, they're like, oh, there's a console that runs everything in 4K and smooth. If you like PlayStation, you get the PS4 Pro. If you like Xbox, you get the Xbox One X. But it's so early, like. I don't. I know maybe one person that has a 4K TV, personally. Like it's not. It's not a. No, you know thing. two. Well, you're talking to well, two we right both now. Well, have 4K TVs, yeah. don't I? Well, so I know. I know three people then. Yeah, I guess. But it's not, <laughs> yeah. come on, Jared. Yeah. Give us some fucking credit. But you both live in different states than me too, so it's like, you know. Yeah. So you can't come over and watch our TVs. <laughs> exactly. But... Um, yeah. It's uh, another thing I real quick would like to see from the Xbox One X, even though I basically just said I'm not getting one, <laughs> is that it would be cool to see like, hey, if it's not 4K, which most likely, unfortunately, it's going to be like 4K 30 frames a second. It would be cool to see them say if it's not 4K, then pretty much every game is going to be you know maybe like maybe not 1080 60, but like 1440p 60 yeah. frames a second. That would be cool. You know, that would be nice. Uh, little bump in the uh value of the product i think uh so you know people are freaking out that xbox isn't going to really have a big fall exclusive this year which i think they're forgetting for is a horizon and how much of that sells and uh, the next story here that kind of leads into that is PUBG is a console exclusive this fall for at least this fall and they announced that it sold seven million copies and passed six hundred thousand concurrent users um i think this is something that people are sleeping on in terms of xbox i think when this comes out this fall on xbox it's going to sell very well I cannot... It, it's amazing how many people are just waiting for this to come out on consoles. I think this thing is going to sell at Gangbusters on Xbox. Once it comes over to PS4, hopefully soon. I assume by the beginning of 2018. I don't think it'll be that long. Um, hopefully not. It's going to sell like crazy there too. Um, I think this thing will hit a million copies really fast on Xbox, even faster on PlayStation because of the install base. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's going to be huge for Xbox, especially because they're going to have microtransactions in it, which can also... Um, you know, lead a lot more revenue and stuff like that. So, it's. I think Xbox is fine. Uh, I, PUBG. I think you guys are on the same boat, right? You think it's going to probably sell very well for them this fall. I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it hit two, three million easy this year. Yeah, and also uh, the guys uh, for PUBG, they're doing an announcement at Gamescom. So is Xbox. People are anticipating they're going to give the release date for the Xbox version uh, this Sunday. Um, and also, the guys making PUBG also came out and stated that they're going to be doing updates and patches a little less often, which to me indicates that they want to focus on, you know, the PC version, but also getting the Xbox version just right. Because if you're constantly ha- putting out updates, you have your hand in a lot of different places, right? Whereas if you spread them out a little bit yeah. more, you give yourself a little bit more time to uh, delineate tasks and stuff like that. So, um, but I guess we can go into the topic now. And the topic kind of goes into uh, the whole thing with Crackdown being delayed and people freaking out about Xbox's first party. Ryan McCaffrey, host of Xbox Unlocked, uh, IGN's Xbox podcast, 
or IGN Unlocked, rather. Uh, he wrote an opinion piece, and he wrote seven things of what he feels Xbox needs to do to fix their first-party problem. I want to go in here and talk about them. I think a majority of these we kind of looked over it before the show we're not going to agree with. Um, but I think it'd be fun because he makes some interesting points. Um, and I'm not going to read through the whole thing. If you want, just go to IGN and look up uh, opinion pieces, and it's it's the top one there. Um, so the first one he writes is Reboot Fable at Rare. Um, so obviously the Fable franchise has been missing. Uh, Lionhead is no longer uh, around. Um, we had a Fable card game release this year. Uh, Fable, uh, what is it? Fortune, I believe. Fable Fortune. Um, and he basically goes in, in this article, Ryan McCaffrey states that he wants uh, you know, Fable 4 to come out and he wants it developed by Rare. Um, that's cool and all. I think Sea of Thieves is a very important thing for them and I don't think, people think it's a fad. I think they're going to try to make this a game of service. It's a huge thing now, uh, that genre of video game. Um, and if it doesn't take off, yeah, Rare will move on to something else. But I do think Xbox and Microsoft have put enough behind Rare that like they want to make Sea of Thieves a thing. Um, so yeah, what do you guys think? Fable, Fable reboot, Rare, anybody else? Do you think that'll that'll you know spark some excitement? Yeah, not specifically Rare. I mean, what? I don't know why. Why does it have to be Rare? Right? They just, it's Fable Four. Yeah, it needs to happen, right? It needs to be a big RPG, basically. Well, it needs to be a British developer though, because of the humor and charm that Fable has. If it's if it's like an American developing, it, right. I don't know if they'll hit that. But yeah, I don't think it necessarily needs to be Rare either, personally. Um, I think he's saying rare just because that seems to be most likely. Uh, well, just probably in my opinion, I think they are the best uh, fitted to for that franchise to transfer to. I mean, like obviously not somebody like the Coalition who's built <laughs> yeah. for Gears of War yeah. or something like that, you know. So I think rare would be better for better suited for that than someone like Turn Ten. Um, Take those kind of bets yeah. off the table though. After Horizon Zero Dawn. I like to. Yeah, but it's point. interesting. Well, Horizon like, Zero Dawn isn't too far flung from. That's closer than Gears of War to Fable, though. Yeah, sure. I don't but, know. I mean, but Horizon's a open world game where you shoot a bow. It's shooting still. <laughs> I think you're kind of both right, but uh, either way, I think. Thanks, Dad. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, you are both making good points, Dom's with his shrugging and yeah. all. Uh, but, but anyways, um, yeah, like Dom said, just make Fable 4. And I just, I don't know why they closed down Lionhead in the first place. I think they should have canceled Fable Legends and then said, get to work on fucking Fable 4. I don't know why they canceled, or just, yeah, canceled the studio. <laughs> you know, I think that um, regardless of whether... Uh, uh, Shit, now I'm forgetting his name. Peter Molyneux. Uh, Peter, Peter Molyneux was there or not. I feel like there was still enough talent at Fable. I think getting rid of him would have been Legends. the best thing, dude. Honestly. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Absolutely. Get rid of this fucking Milo shit with the Connect and all that. Um, I do think that there was enough talent. Uh, Fable Legends didn't look like a piece of shit game. It looked interesting. Uh, enough. Um, yeah, I just think that that was a poor decision because in my opinion Microsoft doesn't have studios to be closing they don't have enough studios to be closing yeah. it's like um, I just feel like that was a mistake on their, on their part and I do feel like uh, Fable is one of those games that oddly enough is kind of mainstream in a lot of ways you know there's like the guys that play Call of Duty and Madden every year and that's all they play a lot of them also played Fable 2 and 3, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of people that aren't into video games that when they hear me personally that I'm into video games, they're like, oh, you play Fable? I'm like, no, I've never played that before. But a lot of uh, more mainstream gamers have, so. It's a very accessible RPG, I think, it, I think. I think. Well, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing. But also I feel like, um, you know, it still has uh, kind of a mainstream appeal to yeah. it. You know, so it's, it's just weird that, you know, they did a Fable Connect game, and then they went into the the four versus one uh, type deal with Legends, and now they have this card game. It's like, well, clearly the franchise is not dead. Just make the fucking game. Yeah. Make the fucking mainline game that's going to sell a bunch of copies. 
the and it could even be a system seller for them. You know, think if if the Xbox One X was launching alongside Fable Four, that would be unlike Crackdown. That would be a big deal, and I think that would move like a lot of yeah. units. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> are you, go ahead, Tom. <laughs> What? Oh, I thought you were going to say something. No, about I'm, good. I'm good. Uh, this, He's just clearing his throat. <laughs> the, second, uh, the second point Ryan McCaffrey makes is make a first-person Shadowrun RPG. Uh, he goes into talking about how Shadowrun was ahead of its time. Personally, I think the first-person RPG thing, obviously it's first-person and third-person, I think they're going to align themselves with Anthem pretty strongly. We've seen that. I think that'll, that'll focus that. Obviously, it's not an exclusive, but... We've seen how easily aligning stuff with a with a console is just as good as exclusivity sometimes. So, I think uh, first person RPGs. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of first person games in general, as we've talked about yeah. before. I think, uh, especially RPGs, though. You know, we were talking about why do people care so much about Overwatch skins when most of the time you're only seeing the person's arms and maybe like their gun hanging over their shoulder or whatever. It's like especially in RPGs where you're like, oh, I got this cool new armor set. Oh, I got this cool new helmet. I got this cool new sword. That most of the time you can't even see because it's in first person. And uh, I think Bethesda games would be much more enjoyable. I'd enjoy Prey and Dishonored more if they were third person. And so I think, well, dude, stealth games in first person, it's, it's rough. Like when you're trying to sneak around specifically and then use like stealth powers and you're in first person you can't see the character that you're playing as you can't really see around you the people that you're trying to sneak from um you know like for example like metal gear solid feels so much better not just because it feels like a great it plays so well but also because you can actually see what the fuck's going on you know and uh so yeah there's certain games that i do not believe should be in first person and rpgs are absolutely one of those that's interesting. A little bit of a diatribe. Yeah, I like I like both. For me, like Bethesda, like uh, Fallout and Skyrim. I hate playing in third person. I think they're bad in third person. To be completely honest with you. Well, that's because they allow that feature, which is nice to have. That and both Battlefront are kind of singular in that sense. But it it would be nice if they weren't janky in third person. Yeah, you know. Yeah, which uh, even still, I'm probably going to play uh, Skyrim on Switch entirely in third person interesting Mm. my biggest problem with the third person on those games is being able to specifically grab certain items and not like steal from somebody or like grab the wrong thing like that's a huge thing like being in first person is you have a little bit more accuracy there in those games specifically um i would like it if you could switch in every game that would be really dope if it wasn't like a big hurdle to overcome if it was more like just yeah, we can do that. We'll throw it in there. Yeah, and just almost every game you were just able to choose. That would be very cool. Um, we can. So sorry, good. I I gotta I gotta get it one last point in on that. So Battlefront is so interesting to me because you can switch, but to me it feels so much better in first person. Same. Yeah. But I can tell, it just feels like that's how it was made and that's how it should be played. But then. I also get the vibe that everyone online is in third person because it's you're better, like right, like third person is I, just better. I play in third person. I don't know if you would be because of what I just described, but I also you know if like if I'm a stormtrooper, I want to see that white armor glistening. You know what if, I mean? If you're on a if you're on a shooter in on PC, this I'm not talking about Battlefront specifically, but if you're on a shooter on PC and you're if you have the option between first and third person, and you're in third, you're gonna get wrecked by everybody in first person. Ah, dude, I'd say the opposite. I feel like third person, you destroy everybody. I strongly disagree. I mean, you do have a you have a wider field of view in third person. Yeah. So there's that. You could see someone said. coming around the corner that you wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, but your aim is also compromised in third person, yeah. too. Your aim, I would say that those are the two biggest points. Is in third person, wider field of view. In first person, your aim is going to be probably more accurate because, you know, your reticles like basically way closer to you as the player. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna have to start <laughs> testing this out. We're, we're we're running a little long, so we're gonna go through these uh, these other ones kind of quickly. Uh, three, bring back Crimson Skies. I don't think anybody cares. I don't think it'll move the needle personally. I don't know if you guys have any differing opinions. I just don't think Crimson Skies. The point is, something is this list is like really, dude. This is what you think it's gonna save Microsoft's first party exclusive. Yeah, no one cares really? about Crimson Skies. Going up against no one. Going up against Horizon and Uncharted, and then you know you got God of War and things like Detroit coming out. These are the things that you're thinking are gonna you know really put the 
nail in the coffin for them. Come people on. can make the people can make the excuse that like, oh, the hardcore OG Xbox fans want this. They already own an Xbox One. Yeah. I'm sorry, like they're they're you know it's not going to change anything. Uh, yeah. Next up, Alan Wake Two. Just make it happen. I agree. I would love for this to happen. Uh, you know, Quantum Break was one of my favorite games last year. I think Jordan, you liked it too. Game of the year. Yeah. Remedy, Remedy's year. great. Their next game isn't an Xbox exclusive. Also, sorry about the fourth host that joined us, the dog outside uh, my house. I can't really do anything about <laughs> that. Uh, he decided to bark a lot. I can't hear it. Oh, you can't? It'll probably come through on the mic. I can. Unfortunately. Um, but yeah, Alan Wake 2 would be cool. There was a weird licensing issue with the music recently where they had to pull it down from a bunch of uh, digital shops. So, unfortunately, that's the way it goes when people use licensed music. The stuff runs out. Um, but yeah, I would love for Xbox to team with Remedy and be like, make Alan Wake 2. It was cool to see the nods to Alan Wake in uh, Quantum Break as well, Jordan. Um, yeah. Uh, anything for you guys to say about Alan Wake 2? Would that be something that would excite you guys? Also, I don't think it... Yes, do it. I don't think it'd be something that moved the needle, but I do think it'd move the needle more yeah, than Crimson Skies. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but still, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a very niche game. Um... So, yeah, I, these are not the things that are going to turn the tide. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think Alan Wake 2 being a sequel could get that thing where, you know, a lot of more people are playing the first Wolfenstein now because of the sequel. Um, but with Crimson Skies, I think it would have to be a reboot. Like, it couldn't be a follow-up because nobody really knows the first one anyways. Um, well, yeah, but, I mean, yes, Alan Wake is backwards compatible, but Wolfenstein is just straight up on PS4 yeah, exactly. and Xbox One. So Good point, different. yeah. Uh, the next one, hire Itataki to make a Ninja Gaiden spiritual successor. Uh, this, again, Ninja Gaiden's cool and all, and I think a lot of people have a lot of fond memories. I don't think this would move the needle for Xbox either. I think the thing we're running into here is we're talking about a bunch of IP that already exist, and I think for, right. for them Absolutely. it needs to be new IP, right? It needs to be mm-hmm. something that, that uh, ignites the flame. Because even... And also... In a lot of ways, Neo on PlayStation 4 is a ninja-guided spiritual successor yeah. in a lot of ways. Not, com- not straight one-for-one one yeah. like you would think of a spiritual successor, but it's the same studio. has that kick-in-the-teeth difficulty, and it has that uh, laser-fast, uh, lightning-fast, I should say, uh, sword play. So there's a lot of that in there. And uh, his six-point Splinter Cell Chaos Theory 2, I think this goes back to the same thing of like, it's already in a it's already in a series. Like I don't think a Splinter Cell Chaos Theory two it'll sell Chaos copies. Chaos Theory two. Splinter Cell needs to be straight the fuck up rebooted. Yeah, and it would do well. I mean, Stealth is in right now. You know, but that's not going to be an exclusive. Uh, be solid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that too. Like you're not gonna. Well, then again, well, it's not going to be an exclusive unless you were the Nintendo Switch and you got Ubisoft yeah. to make a Mario game. Yeah. But it is interesting that they're at least willing to make exclusives Ubisoft yeah um the last one here I think the first and the last ones are the ones that hit the best note for him out of the, everything you know the fable thing and obviously Mc, Ryan McCaffrey knows Xbox it's just we're giving our specific opinions on his opinion you know opinion off yeah uh his last one is bring back Xbox Live Arcade this is something I talked about during our E3 predictions remember I said it would be cool one of my predictions is that they bring it back they have Tacoma they have Cuphead uh, and uh, what am I missing? Below and a couple of other games, Pitfall uh, or Pit People, not Pitfall. Pitfall is a way older game. Um, yeah, I was gonna say. But Xbox Live Arcade is a was a great thing for Xbox 360. It kind of put indie games in the forefront of people's minds on console um, during that generation. And I think there's something lost in that now. It's an event, you know. People get excited. They're like. You already know what games are coming out. They, they have the schedule. This one comes out this week, this one, this one, this one. And it's just kind of a home run hit every week because usually they put the best games on that stage, right? Like, I'm... It's really weird because people have been talking about this thing coming back for years, or obviously ever since it went away, um, and it never has. Yeah. But Sony does play Summer of Play every year, yeah. and it's four games that come out. Uh, not, I think it is weekly, but they're you know pretty much back-to-back. Uh, release dates and they're always really interesting indie games and I usually buy like 75% of them. And Xbox originated that so it's weird that they stopped doing that and yeah. then it's like oh PlayStation's exactly. like yeah we'll do that exactly. now. Uh, and it's not like they don't have the indie titles to back that up like if Tacoma would release a little bit later and you had Tacoma, Cuphead if Below is still coming out and then Pit People or uh, what's the name of the game that came out that's like uh, what is it? It's in early access now We Happy Few. 
It's like We Happy Few is part of that. Yes. When the fuck are we getting They announced that game? Oh, uh, they just April next year. Yeah. There's a release date. Yeah. For PlayStation also, yep. Jordan. Yep. Good, good, good. Uh, good, good. Yeah, so it's Been weird. It would be cool for Xbox Live Arcade to come back. Um, final thoughts on this. We can each give our final thoughts. For me, I still don't think that they have a first-party problem. I think they're in this middle ground of... Uh, you've heard this on almost every other podcast you probably listen to of like... They're working on exclusives, and it's not that they're not going to release any because they are, but I think they're saving the heavy hitters for the next iteration, whether that's Xbox 2 or whatever comes after Xbox One X, if that's Xbox One P or whatever the hell it ends up being. Um, I think they're 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 in this weird middle ground, uh, as I guess is the best way to put it. So um, I'm not worried. I think Crackdown 3 moving is in the best uh, interests of everybody involved, except for the people that are really excited, I guess. But... There's always that argument of, like, did you really want a bad game to come out early? So, I don't know. Yeah. You, you yeah. guys? Yeah. 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 I'm with you. I think yeah, I agree with what you said earlier. Like, I mean, yeah, they can – new Splinter Cell, new Crimson Skies, yada, yada. Like, all these existing IP, I mean, especially those lesser-known lesser, lesser known ones, like more hardcore Xbox fan ones. That's not – like, that was very much – if you wouldn't have told me who wrote that list, I could have – I would have absolutely guessed it was Ryan McCaffrey, yeah. right? Um, those are all really mostly niche things. I mean, after like Fable 4, which should be a big mainline staple right up there with Gears and Halo for them. I mean, some of those smaller ones, they'd be cool, sell a couple copies and be successful. But if you really want to fix fix the exclusive problem, which is a weird phrase, yeah. I'm kind of with you on that too. But if that's your goal and that's the goal of the article, then I think you need big new IP. Well, right? Also, it's isn't you need it? a Horizon Zero. There Dawn. you go, and that was going to be my final point: is that if you want to save Xboxes or you want to fix the problem, I should say, of Xbox's first-party lineup, you start building new studios with yeah. creativity at the forefront because you need new big IPs that aren't like Gears of War or Halo, that aren't like Forza, you know, not a drive But become as important, though, that. to people. Maybe not like them, but become as important because there is that problem exactly. where you think of Xbox because that's what, Halo Gears. Like, that's all people think about. Yeah. Right. But then, that's but then what Jared... PlayStation was able to do with Horizon, and I think what they're going to be doing with Detroit, and you need to have some creativity and go out there and be, you know, kind of like courageous enough to just say, hey, we made these cool new IPs in the past. Let's do it again. Let's not just rely on our laurels and rest on our laurels, I guess. <laughs> but uh, let's let's move towards the future with fresh new ideas. Yeah. yeah. So then, Jared, I'm, at the end of the day, though, I'm with you. We're like, yeah, this is a fun article and a little game to play. But ultimately, I don't think you know first-party IP is necessarily the end-all, be-all for them, right? Yeah. They need to... What they're doing with Anthem, uh, or what they appear to be doing, like connecting as much as they can to that and place, hedging their bets on that because Destiny already is the so connected to PS4, right? Yeah. So them attaching to Anthem, is, I think it's going to be huge. And that is what's going to push them you know, back. And not that they're out of the race, but that's going to you know, get them back more ground than a couple, like a Crimson Skies reboot, right? Yeah. What? Only thing that's going to save the Xbox One sunset overdrive too, <laughs> well and it's all perspective <laughs> take it to the back i think ryan mccaffrey wrote this article and it seems like from the perspective of fixing the first party exclusives for people who already own an xbox and i think the way we're discussing it is <laughs> fixing the first party exclusive titles for it to sell more the the console itself i think he came in from the, pers yeah. the perspective of like making the people who already own one happy which are mostly diehard xbox fans you know so i think it's all perspective there too um but we're going to close out the show now. What, we've, what we're going to be playing, um, I think Madden Madden comes out eight days from now. So I don't think, yeah, it won't come out before next week's episode. I'm going to try Tacoma, Jordan. Hopefully I'm able to get that going. Um, episode three of Guardians came out. Like what you're doing with Batman, I'm waiting for all five episodes to come out for that. I already own it, so I'm just Same. waiting. Walking Dead's the only Telltale series that I'll be playing episode to episode. Uh, going to be watching Game of Thrones, obviously. Um, and I don't know what I'm going to be playing. Siege, obviously, is a guarantee. I'm trying to perfect that game. I'm, like, at, I think, like, 800 gamer score. So I just need a little bit more, some terrorist hunts, and play some of that scary ranked where I'm probably going to get my face stomped in. But uh, that's pretty much it for me. What about you guys? Batman. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it this time, I promise. Hell yeah. Cool. And Skyrim. Uh, <laughs> Skyrim. For me, I... 
Um, I need to get back to Hellblade. I didn't get back to that this week. I'd like Ooh, to go ahead right. and finish Hellblade. I um, would like to finish uh, Walking Dead Michonne, which I think will definitely be a thing because it's probably only two hours left. Um, then uh, I mentioned last week, I'm really hoping that Defenders, which comes out tomorrow on Netflix, turns out good because uh, you know some of the individual heroes series have been a little bit iffy. Um, it's Return of Daredevil on Netflix. I'm excited about that part. Um, I am uh, obviously going to be finishing up A Game of Thrones. I am going to be finishing up uh, the Star Wars Inferno Squad book I told you guys I was reading. Uh, enjoying both of those books very much. Um, so I might just uh, start a new Star Wars book or something like that. Who knows what will happen once I finish Inferno Squad. Uh, but I will definitely be rewatching Game of Thrones Season 1 after I finish the book because uh, that's what I'm going to do now that I'm going through the books I'm going to be uh, matching those up with their corresponding uh, seasons of the TV series and then of course I'll uh, by the time I get uh, done with all that then season 7 will be finished and I can rewatch that because it, I think it's been a very interesting season so far and I cannot wait to rewatch it I've been excited to rewatch it with every episode that comes out So that's an interesting approach so my plan is I've not read any of the books I'm going to wait until the show is completely Same. done, so another year or two, and then I want to go back and read all the books. I don't want them to conflict and hopefully the with books each other. Are done by then, They'll probably not. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah see, point. that's the thing is, I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, I might as well just wait for the books. And I'm like, well, if I wait for the books, I probably won't read this series until I'm forty you know, on my fucking deathbed. <laughs> so um, I would say, for me, I've been wanting to read these books for so long, and have been uh, reading a lot of fantasy recently, and I'm like, I can't just keep, you know, trying to have opinions on fantasy novels when everybody's fucking talking about Song of oh. Ice and Fire, and uh, so decided to jump in. You saying that reminded me, I'm tr I'm, I'm going to make it my point, uh, Jordan, to try to catch up on Invincible so I can be there in the discussion when the finale is released. Yeah, yeah. I'm just... Uh, a couple issues behind at this point uh, so I'll be there and uh, speaking of that I'm also uh, right towards the end of I've got like 30 issues left to catch up on Walking Dead it's at like 170 I'm at 140 so yeah. I'll be caught up with that before uh, this current season I'm already uh, past where they're going to be adapting All Out War I've finished All Out War which is what they're about to do so uh, yeah uh, yeah, I think that's it for episode 68. Next week, the magic number, episode 69. Uh, no joke there at all. Um, yeah, if you can, please leave us a review on iTunes and please subscribe and follow. Speaking of subscribing, if you can do that on YouTube, that'd be great. Uh, what else? What else? What else? I think that's pretty much it. You know the whole shebang. Uh, follow us on Twitter at CTRLINT. You can follow me individually at Jared underscore. Dom is at Dom's Oreos and Jordan is at Melomotus. Next week, it'll be all three of us, and then after that, it's going to be either me and Jordan or a solo man thing, depending on what happens. And, uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys next week. We'll probably have a lot of Gamescom updates if there's any news. Usually there's not, but Xbox is having a conference, so that's kind of weird. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Catch you guys next week. Bye.